Welcome to Talk and Talk, the podcast for the media by us. My name is Brent, and I'm here today with David. Hello. TJ. Hello. And Chris. Hello. And we are going to be talking about our recent homework. Uh, not quite as recent as normal, but uh, well, actually it is, I guess, from the last uh, posting. But um, It is the most recent homework assignment. That's true, yeah. <laughs> our uh, homework was the... Uh, technically 2017 movie, but um, I think most theaters got it for the first time in 2018. The Writer. And uh, David assigned it. I did. And uh, David, take us through the intro to that movie. Sure. It was directed by Chloe Zhao, and actually won, uh, I think it won the Gotham Award this year, Best but picture. was nominated for Independent Spirit Awards last year. Huh. It's one of those... Uh, uh, riding on both kind of years. That's confusing. <laughs> but about the movie, uh, it stars uh, Brady Jandreau as Brady Blackburn, who lives in uh, kind of poverty with his his dad Wayne, his younger sister Lily, who's autistic, on a on the reservation in I think it's one of the Dakotas. It's mm. North Dakota. Yes, North Dakota. And he's a uh, he's a rising star in the rodeo circuit. Everybody kind of knows who he is in the in the local reservation, but he suffers uh, brain damage from an accident he had on a horse. A horse kind of trampled him, mm-hmm. and uh, um, uh, yeah, from that he kind of uh, he's losing some motor function in his extremities, especially his hand, and he has seizures from it. Which he to uh, combat, he uses uh, uh, marijuana and alcohol and pain pills to kind of uh, get him through the day. He's been told that he, uh, the titular rider, can no longer ride, or his seizures are going to get worse. And uh, it's kind of a slice of life thing in the guy's life where he visits his friend, his friend uh, Lane. I think Lane Scott, who is a real, um, well, I guess we'll, we'll <coughs> pause on what's real here and what's. <laughs> What's fiction? It's hard to define. Yeah. His friend Lane also had uh, suffered brain damage from another bull riding accident and visits him in the hospital here and there during the movie. <clears throat> the dad does what he can to take care of the family, kind of, but also kind of, I think it's insinuated he's kind of an alcoholic. He mm. spends a lot of their money Gambling on... Gambling addict, yeah. Yeah. Gambling, yeah. Gambling and little poker machines mm. and uh, goes to the bar and kind of drinks it away to keep their kind of double wide trailer they have to sell their horse which infuriates brady uh he gets a job as a store clerk brady does help raise money for the family um he also makes a living breaking in horses you know we see this a couple times um he wants to buy a horse from one of his friends um he has a pretty uh, you can tell he's got this almost uh um innate ability to communicate with horses Especially this horse that's kind of been treated poorly. Um, and part of training it requires him to ride it. But again, that uh, can put him at risk of his brain injury getting worse and having uh, almost fatal seizures. Um, his horse escapes. I guess getting into spoilers here. His horse escapes uh, through a fence, injuring one of his legs. Ooh. And, you know, he finds it and has to put the horse down. Um, or his dad ends up doing it because he can't do it himself. All the while, he's kind of thinking, is he going to risk it and go back to his rodeo life? Um, he goes to a pawn shop to sell all of his, uh, his gear and kind of can't pull himself to do it. Um, he also hangs out with some old 
uh, rodeo riding friends. They kind of go to this bluff and have tell stories and stuff where everybody kind of got their scars. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of visits the bar, but again, it's kind of slice of life. It's kind of just happens. Right. At the end, he's ready to go and uh, do a rodeo uh, against his father's instructions to kind of chase his dream. He gets to the point of uh, going to do it, sees the horses, and kind of um, backs off there. Gives away some of his stuff. And, uh, yeah, he walks away from his life as the titular rider. If he's not going to be a rider, what is he going to be? We don't know. Well, you assigned the movie. Uh, what did you think of it? Um, it is... Um, it's another one, one of these movies that's kind of two movies you can think about. There's the movie you see up there, and it's it's gorgeous. I think we were talking before the podcast, cinematography is incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, when we consider, when we're talking about Hold of the Dark, about Alaska is just like a cheat code for cinematography, I think we got to start talking after like No Country and this, that like these open expanses and the kind of new American West is kind mm-hmm. of another cheat code. Uh, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Um, the other uh, enjoyment you can get out of the movie is kind of looking at the, the backstory of Brady Jandro, the actor who plays Brady, is an actual um, rodeo rider who also actually suffered a brain injury. And his friends are real. Lane's a real, um, Lane, Lane's a real person that got, uh, he actually has actual YouTube videos up that they pull up and watch. And a lot of his friends are actually rodeo riders too that you see that he hangs out with. Um, that's his actual dad and his actual sister, who actually does have autism. Um, the kind of <clears throat> it's an interesting verisimilitude of this fictionalized account of a life that's probably pretty close to what actually happened with this family and this community. Yeah, that part's interesting to to know after you kind of watch it. <clears throat> I feel like it's it's using a lot of documentary. It's almost shot like a documentary at times, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it uses a lot of documentary. It uses a lot of real information to tell a fictional story. Because mm. um, a lot of people are just going back through. And I guess that's one reason why you would do that with non-professional actors, which is a way to get them to react authentically on screen, mm-hmm. would be to have them relive real things that actually happened to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or just, <clears throat> in the case of this movie, in some scenes, just have them do stuff, and you just film it. Mm-hmm. There's no... Like, I mean, there were scenes in the movie that weren't planned to be in the film. She just shot. Right. Like, I mean, I think what y'all think, and I probably agree, is the best scene in the movie of him breaking that cult mm-hmm. was just him breaking a cult at some guy's farm. So, not acting really at that point. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I think the truer it feels, the kind of better the movie is. But then the, the movie of it, so answering your original point, I, I liked it. Um... In, in parts and in parts I almost would have preferred to watch a documentary of it rather than have this uh, this kind of sheen of a movie over top of it um, I don't know it's complicated yeah complicated is a good word because just uh, not many movies are like this mm-hmm. where you have to balance that like uh, how much of it is real how much of it is acting and that sort of thing Makes it a difficult movie to analyze, but I really liked it. I, th- I thought the story, at least, was touching to me. Like mm-hmm. it was uh, the the question of how do you deal with finding out that your your dream is 
like squashed and not squashed mm-hmm. in a way that maybe I feel like a lot of rodeo riders have this uh, idea that like you know they're just uh, riding it out and and once it's over it's it's going to end in like either a, a horrible life ending moment or they're just going to get to keep riding mm-hmm. and this is he falls somewhere in between and it's I thought it was interesting to see him struggle with that which mm-hmm. is. Which is, you don't get to go out in a blaze of glory. You have to just return to normalcy. Yeah. You gotta be okay coming to terms with your, the reason for your life is gone. And then, <clears throat> what are you going to fill that vacuum with? Well, that's an interesting thing to consider, especially in this community that does not have a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I think, coming from, you know, for me, the, the best parts of the movie are... The technical aspects. I think it's beautifully shot. Cinematographer, what's his name? Uh, James Joshua Richards. He did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. But any other points I would give to it are just points on originality. And like, oh, mm-hmm. you tried something new. That's fun. I'm always a fan of that. But like, does that theme that you're describing, Brent, sound... That sounds super... Like overused. An overused theme to me in cinema. It's like, what if you lost everything and you have to make a decision... Like, to give up your dream. Like, it just doesn't seem like it's new. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, struggling to, like, like the struggle of, of having to give up your career. Over to give up it, your dream. Your life. And, yeah. And I think and I think that, that, that the, the, the criticism lands well when you think of it, and I'm not trying to, you know, dissect your words, but instead of saying new, but saying, like, unique to rodeo. Like... Like what? Where? Where is the uniqueness to rodeo that makes this story particularly interesting over any other story about you know your dreams coming crashing down and returning to normalcy? I think there's a there's a uh, like the cowboy up mentality of of that world. Mm-hmm. I think makes it a little. It gives us its own unique perspective um, because there's just such a there's so much pressure on you know, cowboys and that sort of lifestyle to just get back on the horse and ride. Rub a little dirt on it and keep going. Like, we're always going to have certain types of stories. There's always going to be romantic romantic comedies or revenge tales. If they show me a slice of life that I've never thought about or I've never seen before, I'm still in, even if the theme, you know, just for me, if the theme is something I've seen before. Sure, and to that point, why isn't this a documentary? Because I feel like it could have been better. You know what I mean? I don't know. I think the real life wasn't quite as quite as interesting in that regard. In like uh, like for example the uh, the the friend he visits in the hospital in real life he suffered he was in a car accident mm-hmm. and that's less interesting I guess to that theme than if he had suffered that injury in the in the rodeo. Oh, I don't think so. I mean, well, well, I won't say I don't think so. I guess I'll ask how, because it doesn't matter. His dream still came crashing down. He's still stuck with not being able to do the one thing he was going to do for all this. Sure, I think it, it would still hew pretty close, but you know the movie hits pretty, pretty hard. That uh, Brady is essentially looking at a future version of himself. You know, if he keeps going the way he's going, kind of super literally, if it's from a Brock ride as opposed to uh, you know a car accident. But you know, point taken that it's it's pretty close anyway. Right, and I think I think he's also looking on the other side. And seeing his dad and saying, if I don't ride, 
Mm-hmm. I'm gonna end up like my dad and just a drunk, like struggling to support this family. That's the dichotomy. He's got Lane on one side, and he's got his dad. It's kind of like the two versions of his life, because he can't have the version of him being a star anymore. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, so he has a has to pick which not very bright future he wants. Mm-hmm. I guess that just all seems like so nail on the head in the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it wasn't Absolutely. anything to think about. There no. was There was just like, you know, so like at that point, it's like, oh, like you tried to do something cool and interesting and new and the parts of movies that are most fun when they're new and interesting weren't there, I feel like, to me. I'd be really interested to, if there's an interview out there with Chloe Zhao defending... Or she wouldn't have to defend, you know, it's her choice, it's her art, about why she made that decision. Because obviously, um, she picks up with Brady pretty close after the accident happens, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's not makeup. Because that's his actual... Head scar. You know, his actual, yeah, wound there. Well, I think he was already injured when she filmed her first film, right? Mm-hmm. So, a couple of years probably after his... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you but I mean like that, in the, that he's the real person this actually happened. She actually sought him out through people... To have a consult for a movie where she was using horses, mm-hmm. and then heard this guy's story. Yeah, not to defend, um, you know, theoretical director's choice that, you know, to defend against a problem. But I'm wondering if it's obvious themes and the dialogue is obvious because she's working with non-actors versus something more complicated to play for them that they wouldn't be able to grasp. But then anyway, that's just me, um, you know, prescribing on a director. Yeah, the only thing I'll push back on that a little is just that, like, I do, I do agree with what you're saying in most in most scenes. I did feel like a one scene was unnecessary, and we talked a little bit about this beforehand, which was the scene where he explains the metaphor of the horse to his sister, Mm -hmm. which was my least favorite Mm -hmm. part of the movie, where he just sort of outlines the theme of the movie for the audience, Mm -hmm. and uh, I hate when movies talk about their themes out loud, and. uh, Kind of, I feel like it treats us like we're too dumb to figure it out at right. times. Um, that's the only part of the movie I didn't like. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, uh, wasn't crazy about that. But <laughs> that one's not as defensible if you're talking about the limits you have with non-actors, because you really could just lose that, and you don't have to have your non-actors sell something more complicated. You right. essentially could cut that out, and it's still the same movie. Mm-hmm. It, it, it makes me wonder though, because a lot of the a lot of the strength behind movies that make you like think about themes or make you consider like what's not on the screen is in the editing room. And so that's, those are the choices I guess I would ask about if, if we don't even get to, let's say we concede the, why wasn't this a documentary argument? The like, what was the, maybe what, what was the the purpose for this being such a plain story forward film? Cause that's fine, but they're like that's never for me personally going to get above like two or three stars. Like, I would have enjoyed reading the Wikipedia article about Brady Jandro um, as much as watching this because the acting isn't great. Um, the cinematography's good, um, but like, there's really no score to speak of. All the film elements that we talk about, there's no visual effects. There are scenes that are, like, essentially documentary. Like, they're live action. 100% documentary. 100% documentary. 
So when you have all of these these elements that lead you down a this is a straightforward facts only story, I don't I don't necessarily understand all of the praise for it, I guess. I guess my criticism is less on Chloe Zhao. It's more on why do people love this movie so much? <clears throat> for it to win the Gothams and get nominated at the Spirits last year. Or people if people are just fascinated with the story, then fine. Like I'll I'll, I'll back away. I'm not. I, I'm I'm an asshole. I hate horse movies. <laughs> uh, I, right up there with baseball movies. <laughs> I think I think the rodeo is one of those things like bullfighting that is kind of savage and needs to go away. But mm-hmm. I get it. I'm a like like not your le- world. Le- lefty yeah. weirdo. Um, mm-hmm. But so cool. But other than that, fascination with the story just doesn't really cut it for me. When the acting's not even not great, it's bad. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Just to to throw in on top of that, what Chris is saying before y'all respond it's uh i feel like if you were like you should watch the writer like oh what's it about it's a guy who gets hurt real bad in a rodeo and now he's got to decide if he's gonna ride again if he rides again he'll probably die or like get horribly injured and uh he's got to give up his dream like that's the whole movie you know what i mean there's nothing else and I know the theme of the movie from those like three sentences. I feel like I, I just don't. I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with Chris. I'm curious as to why, why it's what's getting the, uh, so what's much the praise. Florida project about? Oh, it's a. I think it's a look into the life of these specific people, and they go in, They're going. Th- they're not giving up a dream though. Well, I'm not saying the theme is the same. I'm just saying that, that I think the theme is way more in depth in the Florida Project than it is in this. <sighs> yes, the theme is deeper in the Florida Project. I'm saying that both movies though are built mostly on small moments and small interactions and slice of life stuff, like like David's talking right, about. Right, and, and the theme in the writer is super boring. To and me. there's okay, there's a. Uh, I just think it's been done a bunch. Well, the question is why does everybody like it? I think the answer is that they're uh, the the beauty in the in some of those moments. Okay. Yeah. In addition to the Colt riding, I love them on the bluff, the yeah. rodeo riders as modern day cowboys sitting around the campfire. I think there's, you know, you find a lot of beauty in the kind of truth in those moments, but um, I think that's probably what people are going to it for. That and the you know beautiful vistas. Also, I pretty. think I think another thing that people that uh, I could see people liking is that it never tends to sort of like. W- wallow in like he never seems to like wallow in his decision to the point where it's just sort of you know he goes and he and his uh when he when he's at the hospital the first time he doesn't even look sad when they're looking back at at the videos of his buddy and uh you know he's just like they're they really enjoy watching the videos of when uh his lane is lane, it? Yeah. lane? Mm-hmm. lane was just you know a cocky badass on the rodeo circuit and mm-hmm. uh there's no like, I don't know. It never gets too, to me, like over the top with any sort of preachiness or anything like that. I, I, I also think that those are the strongest moments in the movie. Is is his relationship with Lane mm-hmm. to me is mm-hmm. the most touching and shows the most emotional range. Probably because it is just natural. It's him with his buddy, kind of working through some physical therapy. You know, like knowing that it's futile, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting him up on the saddle, like like pulling the reins with him. Um, yeah, and and if, and if that's what the movie is about, then good. It's not for me, but good, good on good on them for making it. Um, I know that there is an interesting 
maybe not a road not traveled. Uh, and I, I hate playing screenwriter, uh, amateur screenwriter, but <clears throat> the whole idea about him casting aside exceptionalism as a writer, like in favor of the mundanity, like he has this background where people tell him you are the only person who can break these horses. And mm-hmm. that, that is never like a, that to him is just a foregone conclusion. Like, well, yeah, of course I'm this like world renowned, you know, yeah. horse whisperer, but that's not like the option. It's, it is, it is pushed forward as, and I set the trap myself as he's either Lane Scott or he's Wayne Blackburn, but he always has the Brady path in the middle where he's like, or I'm this incredible horse tamer. It's kind of unmined narrative there. Yeah. 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 I can see that. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was frustrating to me because like, you know, he could be a, a rider and be on the rodeo circuit and be like, cause he was never in the top and right. I get that he, he wanted to like fight for it or whatever, but you know, he's, he's known by the people around him. He's known like by like, you know, little kids but there's no like there's there's nothing in the movie that makes you think that he was like a nationally recognized or whatever. I was gonna ask if anybody because that would have been a fault of mine. I was just curious, not a fault of the movie at all. But like I didn't know how much clout he had. My guess was that he was a regional star. Yeah, okay. yeah he was <clears throat> on the rise. Yeah, so he was he was starting to get renowned when this happens, where he could pull out of the community and kind of go beyond regionals. But so that's my. I, I think maybe I do just want to put in here. But and to to kind of compare that with, with my last point on this is we know that he is more than a reasonably renowned horse trainer because Chloe Zhao met him in real life. Like this story got made not because whispers on whispers like all of a sudden get back to Chloe Zhao. She, he was sought out for his ability. Well, it was the first film was filmed on the same reservation. Yeah. So he may have just been like the local good guy. You know what I mean? The, I don't know. That was uh, the point I was going to make was, like, when I say regional star, I bet that's, like, amplified a little bit by him being a Lakota Indian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, regional in South Dakota is, like, if you're in North Dakota, you're too far away. Yeah. But it makes sense that, like, they would, you know, care about how one of their own is doing in the the circuit. Right. More. And, you know, the little boy who meets him in the supermarket is, yeah I assume, also... I love I love his yeah. line. Yeah. Like, are, are you Brady Blackburn? <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, I just hated the acting. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like a high school play. I thought Brady was good though. I thought he was good, but especially when his acting is uh, more physical than verbal. I mean, he nails the physicality of that stuff because you know that's his life, but it's also that's what he's you know supposed to do in the movie. Yeah. Whereas d- degree of difficult may not be big for him, I think he still nails that part of the role. Yeah. The yeah, way- it's hard. It's hard to judge because I mean, like mm-hmm. knowing that this is his knowing that I've inter- the knowing from interviews with the director that there's lots of scenes that she saw that made it into the movie that are just him on a ranch. I don't know if he's good or bad at acting because I don't know when he's acting and when he's not. Yeah, it's all, but I, I, you know, I, I don't fault a comedian in a comedy for improving, so I'm not gonna. F- sure, no, yeah. I just, I'm just saying, like to say that still though, like improving is still them pretending. Yeah, and there are 100 percent parts of this movie where he's not pretending. 
So I don't know if you call that good acting or not. I don't know. It's a weird movie in that He's aspect. pretending that horse can understand his words. I don't fault Tom Cruise <clears throat> when he thinks he's actually saving the world in Mission Impossible <laughs> and hurling himself through traffic to do so. So. <laughs> Crazy ass Tom Cruise. Um, yeah, like... Yeah, it's weird. Like, I, I, I kept thinking, like, I have no idea. I don't think this guy would be... I don't think Brady would be very good in another movie. No. Like, in a fictional role. Right. But I don't know that an actor could have done this better. Mm. Well, they, they 100% couldn't have. Because there are aspects of the movie that are just him. <laughs> and an actor can't do that. Just, right. It's impossible for them yeah. to do that. And it's tough to, to talk about because, I mean, that's the role. Is, is basically to be him. <laughs> no one can be him better than him. He does a great job being him, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did a really good job just living. I think, you know, it'd be interesting. I wonder how many uh, how many other directors have thought about, like, when, like, maybe with, like, biopics or, or things like that, have considered casting the real person. Let's right. get the real Abraham Lincoln. Well, <laughs> yeah. But they, uh, but they, it, I wonder how many times they've even, like, considered that and it became so apparent that they would make it that they are unbelievable as themselves. <laughs> right. Yeah, like I, Tanya. It's like, we're going to get Tanya Harding. It's like, oh, no, no, <laughs> no. <get Tanya. laughs> yeah. Well, we'll just use you as consult. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we, we talked a little bit before the podcast about Sean Baker uses locals as extras a lot. Yeah. But um, he had a really funny movie. Go for it. I yeah. wonder if, like, what other directors have had that. Because as soon as you ask, like, I wonder what directors may have done that. I would have been like, Terrence Malick probably thinks about it daily. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. There was a really funny Sean Baker. Uh, for some reason, people like he—he's really responsive in his comments on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. Um, someone was like, "Hey, Sean, like, like if I want to film a scene and I need extras, like, how do you go about recruiting like local people?" He's like, "Bring a camera, tell them you're shooting a movie, and tell them they're going to be in it. Yeah, <laughs> like they'll be especially in, they'll be in your movie as extras, but especially like out, especially outside of Orlando. Yeah, they'll be like, yay! <laughs> yeah, it was funny when I read a uh, review." The critic who wrote for Roger Ebert for this said it was her favorite film of the year when she watched it, which I'm not sure when the review was written. Most reviews for this came April. out in like April. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but it was funny. She was like, feels a lot like a Terrence Malick film. And I was like, oh, I'm watching it just how I watch Terrence Malick films, I feel like. Which is like, beautiful. Bored. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of other movies that have uh, people playing themselves. And I just thought, of, all, all I can think of is private parts. Howard Stern. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think there's more examples. <laughs> <That> cinematic classic. <laughs> there's more examples in more experimental films that we don't really have a lot of patience for. <clears throat> I think for us to say, like, uh, I think it's easy to say to out there, there's probably examples we haven't seen where this is not done well. At least for that part, I think it's done well that it's it skews close enough to life that there's at least scenes of truth and beauty in it not just the landscape but in their humanity mm-hmm. and if they at least nail that I think that's pretty good yeah I think they definitely nail that more than the other mm-hmm. like the the zoom in focus on this family mm-hmm. and that community were better in the movie than the parts that seemed like they were fictionalized to me mm-hmm. and again I don't I have a hard time knowing. Hard for us to tell which is which. Right. Yeah, to your point. <laughs> All right. So we we had uh, mixed reviews. Some of us liked it more than others. That's how movies go. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a real boring podcast. 
<laughs> you know where to do. Uh, so, uh, what's our topic for today? I still don't know. <laughs> do we not? <laughs> yeah, we should have nailed that. I've got the, I've got the sag noms up. Do you just want to do that? Sure. <coughs> 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 okay, I'll segue by saying let's do that thing you just talked about. <laughs> Talk about the sag noms. So, You're editing, so have yeah, fun with that. The uh, <laughs> state of the race. That was perfectly done. Executed. Uh, the writer, uh, yeah, the writer has won some awards, so yeah, we'll we'll talk uh, what's happened lately with the uh, award circuit. Well, first off, do y'all, and mainly I guess David and, and Chris, who followed a little more than Brent does, do y'all think the writers got a shot at the big stuff? I guess the Golden Globe Doms came out and it was left off, but yeah, a lot less. But the Golden Globes also. <laughs> I think but, the only shot it has is probably an offset shot. Chance at cinematography. That'd be my thought. Yeah. yeah. It is a tough year to break in for cinematography. Yeah. Very much so. I mean, like, yeah. Some great camera work this year. This is this is just a classic, like, indie spirit Gotham type movie. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not surprised <laughs> it nailed those nominations and probably... There's a lot of those that will get, like, five or six nominations in those fields and then we'll never see them in the big race. But they're never meant to be in the big race, you know? Right. We're talking about how this has no Golden Globe nominations. Of course not. Like, uh, can you imagine the people behind this movie trying to schmooze the Hollywood <laughs> Ford press? <laughs> like, invite them to parties? That would... I could sell you this horse for $3,000. <laughs> Here's a jar of homemade salsa. <laughs> I'll cut you a deal. The writer is hosting a party in L.A. <laughs> yeah. He's so sad. It's such a sad party. Just very wallflower type party. Like, this also, everyone's going to be there. Lane Scott. And this, <laughs> this movie even feels too small for the Academy, too. Like, there are some movies that just are are too... Yeah. That are just too, like too small. Like David said, they're not meant to be there. Like, uh, I kind of felt that way about Columbus last year. Mm-hmm. Which was just like... It was, this is a really small movie for the Academy. So, mm-hmm. even if I would nominate it for certain things... What's this, the smallest in your... Encyclopedic knowledge of Oscar history. That got nominated? Yeah. Florida Project seems kind of small. Even that's pretty big by some standards. Yeah, so. that was... Willem Dafoe was the only thing that got nominated. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest that's part true. of it. <laughs> the one big part. <laughs> right. I don't know. I don't know. Um, How indie <clears throat> was, like, Sex, Lies, and Videotape back in the day? It was a phenomenon, though. That was, like, a phenomenon out of those... Before the award. ...festivals. Oh, okay. Like, star-making director turn. Okay. Like, that was the first thing that started, like... The whole run of Quentin Tarantino and Kevin mm-hmm. Smith and and people starting up bootstrap indie labels for big big picture things. I'm trying to think of, of when somebody's dad yelled about the Oscars and went, "Who watches all these movies?" <laughs> trying to try and think of what the smallest movie is that got nominated. Sadly, though, that happens with like Babel. Yeah, so, <laughs> one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I got real annoyed at ESPN one morning. They were talking about the Oscar nominations that year. And they were reading the plot to Babel and just laughing at it. I was like, yeah, don't really read the plot to Babel. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think it comes across as yeah, well. Yeah, Babel. That movie with Brad Pitt in it. <laughs> no one's going to watch that. It has no appeal. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I guess the Golden Globes, they come out. We all generally dislike the Golden Globes because it's kind of a, it's a fame party. And Golden Globes are just fun to look at. Yeah, best comedy. The Martian. <laughs> It's just, I mean, yeah, I was talking to somebody about that the other day, though. And, uh, well, Al, who's on the podcast yeah. a few times, and he agreed with me that that was a comedy more than it was a drama, I thought. 
I definitely laughed more than I was worried in the Martian. But the, yeah, there are bad ones. What are the ones this year? There's some. There's some bad ones this year. I feel like. That's in terms of category fraud. Yeah. I think Vice is a comedy, which it might be. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's. I mean, it's Adam McKay. So the Big Short was a comedy, but it just made me angry. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> this one might do that. Yeah, it looks like it will. Um, but the Golden Globe Doms, we do have five dramas and five comedy slash musicals. Uh, a Star Is Born is a drama, not a musical. <laughs> Turns out. Um, if Bill Street could talk, Bohemian Rhapsody, Black Klansman, and Black Panther were the best drama nominations. Yeah. We've seen, uh, the group as a whole seen everything but Bill Street, right? Chris has seen Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm, 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 I'm your ammunition if you want to clear some categories now. <laughs> Having seen Green Book, The Favorite. Yeah. You've seen a lot. Yeah. Comedies were, uh, Crazy Rich Asians, The Favorite, Green Book, Mary Poppins Returns, and Vice. Two of those ain't out. Right. <laughs> I'm not... Hey, Mary Poppins just had its limited release this past weekend when y'all are listening. Yeah. And Vice Christmas Day, I think. Mm-hmm. I will applaud the... Uh, <clears throat> um, the Golden Globes kind of updated some rules lately so that you... To get into comedy musical, sometimes it used to be you have like any songs in it or it's about music, like Walk the Line or was in comedy yeah. musical. Or it's not really a musical. Right. It's not a comedy. Yeah. So Star is Born and Bohemian Rhapsody being in drama were them kind of... Uh, I think they wanted to be in there because it's more respectable. Sure. But Globes also flexed their actual rules and said it wasn't an integral... Like, people aren't bursting into song. It wasn't actual musical. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, Star is Born should be in drama, I would say. Mm-hmm. I would think. I, I haven't seen The Old Man and the Gun, but Robert Redford in musical or comedy for Best Actor for Old Man and the Gun... It's not what I thought it was, maybe. <laughs> it, it makes me question what I think that movie's about. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting. How do you, I know two of y'all saw the favorite. How do you, young buck, I'm gonna rob ya. <laughs> Give me all the money from the bank. It'd be like if they came out and it was like, Clint Eastwood for Mule, best actor in a musical or comedy. <laughs> you should hear uh, Clint Eastwood's improv. It's pretty good. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> it's not good. It's a lot of great objects. He just likes shit. <laughs> oh, actually, you know, going back to our discussion of the writer, Clint Eastwood is somebody who definitely tried the let's use real people as themselves in a oh, movie, yeah, and everybody did not like that. <laughs> 15, uh, yeah. 17 to Paris or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'll catch that one. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> I won't catch the 15, 17 to Paris. Forget it. Uh, <clears throat> how, do y'all, how do y'all, Chris and Brent, we all saw the favorite together. How do y'all, I don't want to like dwell on the category fraud thing because we all know how it works, but yeah. it in comedy? Yes. That movie does not take itself seriously. It does not take itself seriously, but I still think it's like a, it's like a, a thriller with japes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is a comedic it's, it's, thriller. Yeah. It's about... I, I would put it in the same like realm as The Martian, I guess, for mm-hmm. me. I mean, The Martian also didn't take itself seriously. He danced the disco for like 20 minutes in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's, although in The Martian, he danced the disco to like help himself deal. This just... There's just... Weird dancing in this. Yeah, I, this yeah. is so weird. I, I feel like this like, is more for us. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like The Martian plays it down center lane a little bit better for right. both the comedy and the drama, where the favorite is just like, where are the extremes and how can I get past both of those? Yeah. Where like <laughs> Matt Damon dances to disco, but there's a naked fat man in a wig getting pelted by grapefruits, <laughs> like in slow mo for five minutes. <laughs> 
And he seems to really enjoy it. He's having, he's having <laughs> he a was great time. Super excited about it. Um, the main thing I want to talk about in State of the Race is I think the most important noms we got out. I don't know if you all agree, but the SAG nominations came out. Yeah, first actual guild where we have overlap with voters. And a quick little anecdote: I was listening to uh, Fresh Air on NPR with Richard E. Grant, and he was told by the producer of his SAG nomination, and he was super excited and said it was the one that will mean the most no matter what happens from here on out. Mm-hmm. Says there's nothing like recognition from your peers. From your peers, yeah. <clears throat> um, so he had took a break from the interview to call his daughter. <laughs> it was it was adorable. But uh, the SAG version of Best Picture, which is uh, Best Ensemble. Um, interesting this year. <laughs> yeah, five nominations uh, for the for that guild. And they have a Stars Born. Uh, uh, you said that's Best Ensemble? Mm-hmm. So they don't even do like a Best Movie? It's all acting. Oh, it's all acting awards. Okay, so there's no like Best it's Director. Screen best... Actors Guild. Okay, cool. Yeah. So this is just like Best Cast. Just like the Director's Guild doesn't nominate actors for yeah. anything. Um, so yeah, Best Ensemble is a Stars Born, Black Panther... Crazy Rich Asians, Black Klansmen, and Bohemian Rhapsody, which we've all seen. We've not; those movies have been seen by at least one of us. Yeah. So, like, if you're if you're voting on that, do, should, are you supposed to vote on the best cast or best movie? I think it's best ensemble. Best I mean, that's what the the best award cast. is. The award is best ensemble. So okay. There's nothing about the film in there, and like this is where it's weird because ensemble. It's truly in the ensemble, too. Like, La La Land didn't get nominated, right, David? Right. And, because there's not really an ensemble in that movie. It's just right. the two of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense. I see it written out as best performance by a cast in a motion picture. Yeah. So, A Star is Born is a little less than La La Land would be, I would say. Because you do have, I think, great performances by... Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott and, like, Andrew Dice Clay is really good. Yeah. Um, Black Panther is super interesting. Because yeah. there are a lot of it's good a, side performances in that it's movie. A deep cast, deep, deep yeah. cast too. Uh, Crazy Rich Asians, which I think me and David are the only ones who've seen. Mm-hmm. Real deep, big cast. Yeah, it's kind of a fun nomination. Yeah, I don't think it's got a chance, but I mean, good. The, the, <laughs> the parts of that movie that impressed me, acting wise, really impressed me. Mm-hmm. And the parts that I didn't like, I really didn't like. Um, but there weren't many of those. Yeah, there's some people in that movie that are really good, especially Aquafina. I think is Aquafina phenomenal. Knocks it out of the park. I was wondering why her why her Instagram went from uh, kind of like making like dumb jokes to like being a serious actress after Crazy Rich Asians came out. Yeah, I heard she was really good in it. She plays her; it is very natural for her her yeah. character. I think mm-hmm. not a lot of drama there, but she's really good. Yeah, and um, Bohemian Rhapsody is the one that I question on this list. Yeah, I was going to ask you about one. it. That, that to me would be like the one where you would get a lead actor. I'm really surprised that the entire cast made it in. Cause from what I, I hear, it's like the band just kind of is there. Which one? I mean, the, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, yeah. I mean, the cast, the cast is good in it. Like, the, the band is good in it. Um, and there's, there's a lot of play between... I mean, it's Freddie acting in, like, as the frontman of Queen and the band reacting. So in that sense, it's good, and then it's got some some interesting performances by Mike Myers, and um, not Ian Glenn, uh, Kirketti, Littlefinger, little, uh, 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 Gillen, Gillen, Aiden Gillen, Aiden Gillen. Um, you know, so so there's some good little like supporting roles, but I mean, you we've been talking about Rami Malek being a shoe in for the Best Actor nominee. All year, and to then see them get by performance by a cast, 
<clears throat> kind of thumbing its nose at that this was a one-man show. It shows that like actors really <clears throat> love the movie. Yeah. The uh, like, critics were never... I mean, like First Reformed is a critics-type movie. I can see why it didn't get in here for, for best cast or whatever. But, uh, you know, it could be interesting. One of those movies not really well-rated, but is just... You know, beloved by the actual industry, and it might be one of those things too, like the Live Aid reshoot. I I feel like if I could look at that and be like, that was a fucking undertaking as an actor. Yeah, that other actors probably would also agree and mm-hmm. be like, man, they played an hour long set pretty much. Yeah, and they're not musicians. The nomination there that I really like is Black Klansman because I was going to say, yeah. I feel like that was a movie where, as far as the performances go, it wasn't a top heavy movie. There weren't any that like blew me away in comparison to the rest. Yeah, but the I can think of so many interesting characters from that movie. Hundred percent agree. And it was a really, really good cast, especially with some some sort of like I would say like some finds in there because they were uh, nobodies really. Yeah, like the, the I hate saying that, but a, a lot of the people like in the in the clan were not recognized. Well, I thought I recognized them, but they were not actors that I right. knew. I just thought they were other people. They did a really fantastic job. We had great performances by pretty much the entire... The clan meetings were kind of the best part of that movie. They were so well acted, and they were so deep. And uh, what's his name? The guy from Itania, who was so funny. Oh, he's got three names, Sebastian, because he's a serial killer. (laughs) Yeah. No, he's the bodyguard in Itania. He's in Black Klansman as a dopey racist. Yeah. He's really funny, but also terrifying. Like, that kind of person... He's like high up. Yeah. Um, Yeah, actually, I think that would, I would totally vote for that cast, I think, in that award, just because of, uh, um, this award allows me to subtract my least favorite part of that movie, which is Spike Lee. Yeah. And it allows me to focus on my favorite part of the movie, which is the cast and the storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and this is the kind of thing that Black Klansman kind of needed, is it's showing me that, uh, I think it's going to do pretty well. Um, so far, got got a lot more guilds to go, but I think it really needed uh, the cast. And once we get to the nominations for the actors, it really over overproduced too. It had to have this to get nominated yeah. best picture. I think if it gets left out here, it's it's not making it. Um, when you talk about Black Klansman and then what David was saying, moving on to the actors, uh, the lead actor nominations, you do have John David Washington from Black Klansman, which was kind of a surprise to me. Yeah, Viggo Mortensen for Green Book. Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody, Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born, and Christian Bale as Dick Cheney in Vice. Unsurprisingly, Ethan Hawke, first reformed, did not do lots of campaigning for this. (laughs) (laughs) For all of his campaigning, if you hear him on podcasts, it's just like how he hates modern movies, and then we'll just talk about like reality bites for 12 minutes. (laughs) Um, So I'll I'll posit this. From the statistics, the SAG kind of averages about 4 out of 5 end up making it. Wow. Sometimes it's 5 out of 5, sometimes 3 out of 5, but it doesn't really stray too far from 4 out of 5. I know the 4. I know the (laughs) 4. Yeah. I don't think John David Washington makes a cut. Although I I was really impressed with him. I thought he did a great job in the movie. I'm glad he got recognition here. Uh, I kind of mentioned in the article, but I was like, there are times when he sounds just like his dad. (laughs) And that's not bad if you're trying to get nominated for shit, apparently. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's an inside track right there. If he could perfect his uh, Kate Blanchett voice as well, (laughs) he's really got a future in the Oscars. (laughs) I don't know if Chris hasn't seen it yet, but when he yells Patrice at the end, I'm like, oh, that's his dad. (laughs) Patrice! (laughs) He got nominated for having a white voice in a year with Sorry to Bother You. 
It's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but Chris, yeah. you, you, you've seen Green Book. Yeah. Vigo is really good. I talked to Al about it a little bit yesterday after seeing the Spider-Verse. Um, it's like you, you've got about like a minute where you're playing catch-up to. That's Vigo Mortensen doing a really over-the-top Italian-American accent mm-hmm. to just like, he's Tony Lip. Mm-hmm. Like he just... Oh, nice. He is... I mean, Vigo Mortensen is the most... One of the most unfortunate-looking lead actors that is working today, especially in like critically acclaimed movies, and he just disappears into this role, and it's 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 such an easy movie to like. It is a road movie. It is a buddy comedy. It has like heart. You know, he he doesn't really do a lot of growing because he doesn't need to. Like that's that's kind of the you know, narrative that you think is there, but isn't. Um, but he's good. I mean, it's... He plays a forget-about-it guy who's, you know, like, hey, like you want to be seen in public with this black guy? He's like, ah, whatever, it's a job. You know? So it's 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 very it's very good, kind of... Uh, under, not understated, because he is, like... He's over the top, but he sells it. Right. Nice. It makes me think of, like, about ten years ago, Eastern Promises... Where you hear his Russian accent is like, oh, we're doing this, <laughs> and then within a couple minutes is like, you, you pretty much get lost in him again. Nice, he does a great job doing that. I and mean, it makes sense. Viggo Mortensen can speak like eight languages, <laughs> including Elvish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Gold true, Book, true. where it's Me. like he's taking an, uh, an orc through Elven land. <laughs> um, we already hit. Why are you orc so racist? <laughs> We already hit uh, Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody a little bit. Um, the other two are Bradley Cooper uh, for A Star is Born. He's really good in that. Yeah. Yeah. I would be shocked if he was left out of anything moving forward. Probably the front runner right now. Yeah. Or one of the two. Yeah, the one, there's just one that just the masses haven't seen yet. We don't know how the movie's going to be reacted to, but that's Vice. <clears throat> and from the trailers, Christian Bale looks like he's phenomenal. He's doing that Christian Bale thing, which is trying to break the record for, like... Uh, most widest weight gain. <laughs> widest gap between uh, your actor weight between you know like two critically acclaimed movies between The Machinist, yeah, and this. I assume <laughs> Orson Welles is who he's up against. <laughs> or if he just looks at like Adam Sandler movies and just gets pissed off. <laughs> he also looks. How did he play a man and a woman? In Vice, I feel like it was a little unnecessary because he looks fatter than Dick Cheney. <laughs> In the movie, yeah. Like, why'd you put on so much? It looks, like, a little bit, it looks a little bit like Adam. Like, I'm gonna get fat. And it's like, okay, I think you're good, Adam. I will be fat. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't disagree with Christian Bale. It looks, it looks a little bit like, uh, like Danny DeVito's Penguin, <laughs> especially the way he talks out of the side of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best lead actress. Anybody seen The Wife yet? I don't know where you can see it. It was in theaters a while ago, but it should be streaming somewhere soon. But she was kind of the early favorite, I would think. Kind of uh, early, like August. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, get trot, getting trotted out now. She's one of the biggest losers in Oscar history. Yeah, I think six nominations, no, no win. If he shows her seventh, I think she passes like Thelma Ritter and someone else from the '30s for the biggest loser of all time. Who did she lose to uh, for Fatal Attraction? <clears throat> was that '88, '87? It may have been uh, uh, Marley Matlin. 
Uh, same year as Children of a Lesser God. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I haven't seen the wife yet, but it feels like that's probably a shoe in for a the wife. Is a uh, <laughs> is um are the stats about the same for lead actress? Yep. Are they about the same across the board for sad? It's category? across the board. Yeah. Okay. One average is about three point eight. One's four point one, but okay. it's about that. It looks looks like you're gonna have to go see this in art house. The official release year on Just Watch is twenty nineteen. Hmm. So for the wife, yeah, yeah. it was in Midtown. Like three months ago. That's an art yeah, house theater, though. But, yeah, but and it's the on weird. demand is weirdly late for this. Yeah, that they're they're not really. It's not really going to be for rental for a long time. Huh. She lost a share for Moonstruck. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another movie that we haven't seen because it hasn't come out yet was uh, Emily Blunt got a nomination for Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah. Her, her one of two she actually got from SAG. The one thing to remember is that SAG really loves Emily Blunt. A couple of years ago, the alcoholic thriller movie Girl on a Train. That's right. She got nominated for it and it never had a dust of a chance in the actual race. Yeah. But with two nominations here, which are interesting, maybe this is, you know, finally her year. I just always like after finding out that, that like nominations for Golden Globes are not Golden Globes. Um. <clears throat> never mind. I was thinking about something else. Carry on. I do that. Uh, the three movies that, that have been seen by some of us. Uh, the favorite, Olivia Coleman. We all knew was going to get nominated. She's phenomenal. I don't really know what else to say about it. She's really good. Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. Same. And uh, Brent has seen Can You Ever Forgive Me? And Melissa McCarthy got the nomination, which was kind of a... Maybe, maybe not going into the nominations. So oh, really? I don't think she was a shoe in by any means. She she's basically in a race against Emma Stone and uh, Rachel Weisz. Well, no, she's in lead. They're they're supporting. Oh, so are they are they strict about their categories for lead and supporting? They're not strict. You can nominate them in another thing, but you have to have a real compelling case to do it. It's not as common as it is in the Oscars. Yeah, the last big one was Kate uh, Winslet won Best Supporting for the Reader and ended up winning lead actress for the Oscar. But that doesn't really happen a lot. Mm. I will say, Emma Stone is definitely a fucking lead of the favorite, though. Yes. No way she's supporting in that movie. I would agree. Um, um, in so, that, in that, the trio I've seen, uh, for me, Olivia Coleman and Lady Gaga are easy top two. So what are the yeah. five again? It's uh, Emily Blunt for Mary Poppins Returns, Glenn Close for The Wife, and then Olivia Coleman, Lady Gaga, and Melissa McCarthy. So if we're saying four or five, sometimes it's five or five. If it's four or five, who do we think drops out and comes in? It's a coin flip for me between Blunt and McCarthy at this point. Right. Emily Blunt. Drops out. Man, I hate to be right. Blunt. But and we're still going <laughs> to... We still need to see that movie's business, too. That kind of will right. help or hurt it. Yeah. Um... I'm also not buying that it's even her best performance of the year. She's really good in Quiet Place. Speaking of that, for Sporting Actress, you got five nominees. Emily Blunt for A Quiet Place. Uh, Margot Robbie for Mary Queen of Scots. Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz for The Favorite. And Amy Adams for Vice. Mm-hmm. Again, we are... You've seen two of these four movies. The weird one for me is Mary Queen of Scots. I don't think anyone... There's not a really a lot of good buzz about this. But she shows up uh, here for this movie. You'll like Margot Robbie too, in your Emily Blunt kind of way. Mm-hmm. They Never did. Ever. I Tanya, 
they were early on the bandwagon for that, and it led to a nomination. Right. And if you see the the trailer, she's got kind of like uh, pock marks from I think smallpox or something. Yeah. And she is you know kind of deglammed in the Elizabeth the first way, um, really actory actory makeup stuff there. Right. She is an easy pick, I feel like, out of these five. But I feel like there's probably only going to be three out of this, I'm guessing. Yeah. I feel last like year I would was, guess Emily Blunt and Margot Robbie aren't, aren't getting through. Yeah, last year was three out of five, too. I would have loved their five with uh, Holly Hunter, they said, was going to get in, and Hung Chow for downsizing. Yeah. I never saw downsizing, but I've seen other stuff Hung Chow does in A Lover and Little Stuff. I love her. I love her. Yeah, I think Holly Hunter probably would have won the Talkie Talk Awards if she was... Nominated, mm-hmm. I would have voted for. But weirdly, maybe this is the time we're the other about nominees this year. You had uh, Allison Janney and Laurie Metcalf for the other two Those big the, ones. The two big, big um, maybe this is the time to talk about. Weirdly absent here completely is if Bill Street could talk. Yeah, Regina King before this was kind of the presumed winner, and now she wasn't even nominated for SAG. Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, Claire Foy. Has been getting some um, not some buzz here and missed out at SAG. That's insane. Yeah, I think there's only been two winners in SAG history that have actually won without a SAG nomination. It's Marsha Gay Harding for Pollock, and ooh, I can't remember the other one. Oh, Christoph Waltz for uh, uh, Django Unchained. It's about to go. How do you not know it? Yeah, everyone fucking knows that, you idiot. <laughs> That's weird. Christoph Waltz did good to Sagnob. Well, that was a Christmas Day movie, too. Uh, Sag, not notoriously, but it has missed on some late breaking movies. Like last year, Nothing for Post or Phantom Thread, which kind of came out essentially in January and did end up doing well. But it was kind of beforehand. I'm kind of surprised they didn't nominate Phantom Thread last year, just on like spec. Like, Daniel Day Lewis made a movie, let's just throw him in there. Um, and then you got supporting actor as well. This is a fun category. I think there are still, I want to say, six, like, maybe Oscar nominees, and we just have to figure out which one's going to get left off. The five that got SAG nominations are Mahershala Ali for Green Book, Timothy Chalamet for Beautiful Boy, Adam Driver for Black Klansman, Sam Elliott for A Star is Born, and Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me. The six I'm referencing would be Sam Rockwell for Advice. Mm. Supporting actor. Um... I said in the article, Adam Driver feels like the one that would get left out and Sam Rockwell in for the Oscars. This feels like we're still in the the Rockwell like peak yeah. coming off his win. Sure. The, I mean, that definitely happens. Right. The one I could... I mean, it was early on, like, may even win Timothy Chalamet. Of all the ones that are here or on the edge, he's the only one stranded that, that it would be its only nomination. I could see that being... Maybe a weakness there, yeah, with no other support. Whereas, like uh, Rockwell, there's gonna be nominations elsewhere. If you go, um, my dream nomination of Michael B. Jordan or Daniel Kaluuya or something, you may have other nominations across the board. Yeah, I don't, I don't know who I would pick if I'm picking one to definitely get nominated at the uh, Oscars. I don't know which one like has the best odds. Maybe Grant at this point. Um. Which movie that I haven't seen that it's been a lot of praise for, but you weren't a huge, like, I mean, you liked him, but you weren't like a huge, like, oh my God, he was amazing. Yeah, I liked him. I was, when I heard, see, I, uh, 
you know, as you said earlier, I don't keep up with with this aspect of award season that well. And when I heard that he was a you know a front runner for getting a nomination, I was a little surprised, but yeah. not bothered by right. that. It's not the movie where I walked out thinking that guy's gonna be nominated. Yeah. Weirdly, he's he's the one who's getting who's getting critic awards and nominations, and now um, actual guild. Whereas you know Sam has missed out on some stuff. I think Mahershala has missed out in at least one place. So the Golden Globes left out Sam Elliott. Yeah, who's one of the locks, kind of. <laughs> Sam Elliott won National Board Review. New York Critics was Richard E. Grant. Uh, Independent Spirit, which is a little hard, did have Adam Driver and Richard E. Grant both uh, nominated. Wow. The SAG Awards are... I didn't realize they air the day before Oscar nominees come out. Hmm. SAG's fun. It's a fun fun ceremony. Briefly touch on the TV. Yeah. Uh, you want to do it? You got it pulled up? Yeah. I'm in my, uh, my dock. <laughs> just to go through it quickly, uh, outstanding performance by an ensemble in a comedy series. Uh, the Americans, Better Call Saul, Handmaid's Tale, Ozark, This Is Us. Um... And then, sorry, that was drama. And then in a comedy series, it's uh, Atlanta, Barry, Glowed, The Kaminsky Method, and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I have a prediction that Mrs. Maisel is going to take everything again. Did it clean up inside last year? I don't remember. Oh, no, clean up at the Globes. My bad. <laughs> I mean, it may have cleaned up inside. Globes and Emmys, yeah. I don't know what happened at the SAG on TV Awards last year. Yeah, I don't, I don't really remember. Yeah. I'm not... I'm not Totally convinced that Kaminsky Method is actually a show. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the poster for it. It's Looks like a like show a... within a show, like a fake thing that uh, maybe uh, it's on like Arrested Development or something. If you click on on, on like uh, on uh, Netflix, it takes you to like Michael Douglas movies and Alan Arkin movies. movies but there's like, no actual show there. Movies right. like the Kaminsky Method. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It looks like SAG didn't watch a lot of TV shows this year. All the acting awards are like Ozark, Handmaid's Tale. Kaminsky Method, Barry, Maisel, Grace and Frankie, and then that's it. Yeah. There's like Alison Breen for Glow, uh, K- Sandra O oh for Killing Eve, and John Krasinski got a nom for uh, Jack Ryan. Oh, nice. Fun. Yeah. yeah. The weird thing about, I think, SAG TV is they don't have supporting, so it's just performance. It's lead and supporting together. So, like, uh, you know, in best lead uh, male, it's like. Uh, Bill Hader for oh Bill Hader for Barry and Henry Winkler for Barry yeah is like lead and supporting both right. there so interesting 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 yeah. but those come out in about a month so the Oscar nominations do there'll be a bunch of shit in between as well I think Producers Guild noms are next which is a that's your best picture award I guess really don't know it's, yeah. Um, PGA is pretty good. I think all nine were in from last year. Yeah. There was 11 nominees, but every single one was in there. Right. And I think the year before, I think it was everyone but one. So that's pretty, that's pretty much your field, maybe with one wild card if you want to go with it. Yeah. And then it just depends how many nominees you want to choose. Right. Well, cool. Anybody anything else? No. No, uh. Yet. No homework either. Yeah, we got a full month. You know, up. catch up on the 2018 Oscar e movies that uh, that you haven't seen yet, and just 2018 movies. You know, everyone's doing uh, year end lists. 
we'll be doing ours too. Um, you know what would be great is for you listeners to put together your top movies of the year and send them in. We'll watch them. <laughs> yeah. Also talk about them, maybe. What's, uh, anybody got one they want to recommend that think, that they think people will be surprised will appear on? I still am holding out hope that we're going to get a song nom for Hearts Be Loud. And I want you guys to watch it because I think it is a great movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see it whenever. Whenever someone else tells you to watch it? No, whenever it's like available. Oh. Um, I think one movie that will be on a lot of top ten lists will be Mandy. Mm-hmm. Um, not just our top ten list, but most top ten list. You know, yeah. Okay. I'll get it from you Tuesday. Or I'll send it to you. Bye. Bye, guys. Say bye to the lady. Bye, lady. She came back. Okay. <laughs> she never left. <laughs> Don't be sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's heartbreaking. I love you. <laughs> there you go, lady. Now she's satisfied. <laughs> that it? I just recommend, uh, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, or whenever we talked about it, um... There's probably going to be a lot of, if you're looking at year-end lists, a lot of docs more than usual. Catch up on some docs, especially Mining the Gap. I think it's, I'm seeing it on a ton of lists and I'm loving And loving you do have a, sh- a short list for doc that'll be shorter, or it's already short, I guess. Mm-hmm. Short as it's going to get. So check that out if you're looking for some documentaries to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an article on the site that tells you where a bunch of them are available, either for cost or for free, uh, and more and more become available every day. Um, like it's it's insane after putting that together and seeing the ones that I couldn't put on the list like a ton more released on like HBO Netflix Hulu's got a ton of documentaries on it that are on the list killing it um, <laughs> but um, yeah I know that sorry I just saw I it so, so I want to bring it up um, uh, Kusama Infinities on Amazon now to rent for pretty cheap. Letters from Baghdad uh, is on there. Like there's just a, just a ton of documentaries. That's a great year for them. Yeah. Think the Lonely Italian? No. Well, now I'm just guessing, so I'm done. Above and Beyond is on Hulu now. That was definitely on there. Mm, cool. Um, but yeah. Go watch stuff. <laughs> and that is Talkie Talk yeah podcast for the media by us.com please visit the site and see our stuff and please uh, check out our Facebook groups games by us TV by us uh, movies by us if you want in all of them post uh, what are your favorite of the years um, not just any years this year <laughs> favorites of the year and also tell us what your favorite year is <laughs> yeah what's the best year <laughs> certainly not this one <laughs> um yeah, and we also have a Facebook uh, group just for collecting all this stuff, The Media By Us. Um, you can email with us, uh, us at gmail.com. You can uh, tweet with us, tweet, tweet, <laughs> at The Media By Us, as well as, uh, I don't know, I think that's all the way to get us, get at us digitally. Rate the podcast. Yeah, please rate the podcast and subscribe to the podcast for us. That would be a great Christmas present if you want to, your favorite local podcast you want to give some love to. We'd appreciate it. Five stars, please. It's on my Christmas list. (laughs) 
And uh, that's pretty much it. Well, special thanks to the intro music by the Willow Walkers. Yeah. Willow Walkers. And special thanks to the outro music performed by Boo Reefa. Boo, 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 boo Reefa. And I want to say thanks to you guys for listening. And uh, thanks to everybody here. Bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town, slow pokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things that I know.